the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Let's talk faith.com. W262CP, Bayonet Point, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. So the question that we need to uh, to really ask this morning is not so much why does God say no, because I'm not sure he always tells us why, Not in, at least not in this lifetime. He might, but I'm not sure that's always the case. But rather, I think the question is, what should we do when God says no? And he does say no. What should we do? Should we sulk in disappointment? Should we have a guilt trip on ourselves when maybe we're not really guilty? How should we respond? I have met people mostly in government offices, it seems, who love to turn down requests. But I think that most of us do not like to say no. For one thing, we like people to think well of us. And for another thing, the reaction to a refusal is not usually very pleasant. A lot of us have the idea that God is a celestial ogre, just hoping we will ask for something so he can deny our requests. There is no doubt that God often does tell us no. But that does not mean he takes pleasure in crushing our hopes and dreams. You are listening to Verse by Verse, and we are pleased to have you with us today. Pastor teacher Steve Kreloff is leading us in a series of studies from the life of King David. Pastor Steve has been serving for over 27 years at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. David had something very special that he wanted to do for God. It is something that he wanted to do in order to glorify God. You would think that when the man God called a man after his own heart wanted to do something to glorify his Lord, his Lord would agree wholeheartedly. But God did not agree. In fact, God told David no. Let's turn to 2 Samuel chapter 7 and we will see why God sometimes refuses our petitions and how we should respond. Here's Pastor Steve. The least you hope that he grasps this word is, is the word no, N-O. That word, we would hope, is etched into his or her little brain because beginning with uh, his toddler years, he seems to hear it a lot. Isn't that true? The word no. As he reaches out to touch a hot stove, he hears no. As he grabs the dog's ears and begins to twist them, you know, he hears no. As he's about to put that crayon in his mouth, he hears no. In fact, he probably thinks for a while that's his last name. You know, he's Johnny No. He's Susie No. She's Susie No. But, but being told no is, um, is something that is not unique to little children because occasionally God tells us as his children, no. He tells us no. He tells us no to a, to a desire we have, to a dream we have in our hearts, to a vision we have for something we feel like um, uh, we should do, perhaps to a prayer request we've had, he says no. Uh, how, how do we know this? How do we know that, that God denies us 
the opportunity to do some things we'd like to do. Because in 2 Samuel chapter 7, and I'd like you to turn there. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, God said no to King David, to the great king, about David's desire to build a temple for God in Jerusalem. God denied his desire. He said no. No, you're not going to be the one to do it. And, and while this chapter has tremendous messianic implications concerning the coming reign of the Lord Jesus Christ as the Messiah, as a descendant of King David, that's, that's really theologically, it is very important. It is called by theologians the Davidic Covenant. In fact, from this point on, Scripture is never the same as it points to one of David's descendants being the, the uh, ultimate king and ultimate Messiah. So this chapter has tremendous messianic implications. However, the real message, at least in, in terms of our behavior and our response, is how do we respond when God says no to us? How do we respond? How should we respond biblically and godly when God says no to us? And this is very, very relevant for us. Some believers really struggle and are, are terribly disappointed uh, with God and with themselves because they have not grasped how to, say, uh, how to respond to God's uh, no. Let me give you some, some examples. There are some who, uh, though we've heard from our missionary friends this morning, there are many, many others who have volunteered to go to the mission field and have wanted to go to the mission field and have said, Lord, I'm willing, I'm ready to go to the mission field. And uh, God denied them that desire. They've been turned down for one reason or another. It could be health reasons. Uh, it, it could be um, that they've had to stay home and take care of an aging parent. It could be for a host of other reasons. But God said no to a very noble and wonderful desire. We're not talking about sinful things here. That's, that's a given. God says no to that. But we're talking about good things. Or someone had a dream when they were younger of getting married, having children, grandchildren. God has not given them that, that desire. Or, or at least has not fulfilled that desire. They're getting older and it's apparent that God said no. Or how about a vision that you've had for a tremendous ministry? And something you really wanted to do for the Lord and, and something that you felt was needed and you had a burden for this. But God closed every door and by those doors being closed, you know that his answer is no. Or something you've been praying about. And it's a good thing and your motives are good, but God said no. So the question that we need to, uh, to really ask this morning is not so much why does God say no? Because I'm not sure he always tells us why, not in, at least not in this lifetime. He might, but I'm not sure that's always the case. But rather, I think the question is, what should we do when God says no? And he does say no. What should we do? Should we sulk in disappointment? Should we have a guilt trip on ourselves and maybe we're not really guilty? How should we respond? Now, the answer to this question is really found in David's response to the denial of God for him to build a temple. So as we turn, if you're not there, you should turn to 2 Samuel chapter 7. We want to first examine the background of David's desire and God's refusal, and then focus on how David responded. There seems to me to be three specific responses that David had that we really can learn from. But first of all, what's the background of David's desire and God's refusal of that desire? Beginning with chapter 7, verses 1 through 2, we read, 
Now it came about when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest on every side from all his enemies that the king said to Nathan the prophet, see now I dwell in a house, a wonderful house, it's a house of, of cedar, but the ark of God dwells within tent curtains. As the chapter opens up, David has securely settled into his position as being king. He now lives in Jerusalem. He lives in a cedar house, a very nice house in the city of Jerusalem. And uh, he's enjoying a period of peace in his life, peace from his enemies. Someone has said this, that etched over the fireplace of David's home was the word shalom, peace. It's a nice time in David's life. There are no more giants to slay. There are no war plans to make at this point. There are no kings chasing him all around the land of, of Israel. It, it's a time of uh, quietness, tranquility, calmness in David's life. And at this time, David speaks up to his friend and the prophet Nathan. And he tells him about a dream that he has in his heart. Not a little, literal dream, but, but a burden that he's had. Uh, a vision he's had. A desire he has. And uh, he says that ever since I've lived in a beautiful house, I understand that the ark of God, remember the ark of God is the symbol of God's presence in Israel. The ark, it's not in a house. It's in a little tent. It's in a portable tent. And David has entertained the thought now of building a beautiful temple, a beautiful house for the ark of God and the presence of God in Israel. What he wants to do is give, is give a more permanent structure to the ark and the presence of God, more permanent structure that would be appropriate, especially in light of the fact that David lives in a gorgeous palace. Is it right for the king of Israel to live in a gorgeous palace and the ark of the covenant is in a little tent? So what David wants to do is a good thing. It's really nice, and he bounced this, this thought off of Nathan, who responds initially very positively about this. Verse 3, Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your mind, for the Lord is with you. Now, Nathan was a true prophet of God. We, we know that. But his initial response to David's desire was wrong. It was his own opinion. It was not God's will. It was not the word of God. How do we know that? Because... God told him very specifically, starting in verse 4, what his will was. Now, it came about in the same night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Are you the one who should build me a house to dwell in? For I have not dwelt in a house since the day I brought up the sons of Israel from Egypt, even to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent, even in a tabernacle. Wherever I have gone with all the sons of Israel, did I speak a word with one of the tribes of Israel, which I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, basically, the message is this. Nathan, I want you to go and, and tell, tell this to David. Go tell David that I appreciate the fact that uh, you want David to build me a house, but uh, I'm not going to let you do it. Ever since I brought up the children of Israel during the Exodus, um, I've been dwelling in, a, in a, a portable tent. I never asked any of the tribes to do it, and I'm not asking you now to do it. Thank you very much, but the answer is no thanks. That's, that's basically what he's saying. No reason to change anything right now. Now, there's a parallel passage to that in 1 Chronicles 17.4, and it puts it this way, very, very bluntly. Go and tell David, my servant, thus says the Lord, you shall not build a house for me to dwell in. Now, that's rather clear. That's rather direct. God said no to the building project. David, the answer is no. But why? Now, at this point in, in time and in history, 
Uh, God did not tell David why he was being denied his desire, but it does give us some insight, even at this, at this early stage of our, of our study, on the denials of God. What does it tell us? Well, for one thing, it tells us that God can and does say no to us about things that are good and noble, and even when we have proper godly motives and desires. Now, that may be new to some of us. We think that God only turns us down when we're in sin, and that's not true. Now, we can understand when God turns us down, we're in sin. When we don't ask for the right motives and we want to be selfish about things and we have carnal, sinful desires. But listen, that's not true with David. David had the highest of motives. David wanted to do a good thing. He wanted to do the best for God. David had godly uh, motives. In fact, later through his son Solomon, God commended David for wanting to build a house for him. Listen to this. In in, uh, 1 Kings... Chapter 8. In 1 Kings uh, chapter 8, verses 17 and 18, we read this. Solomon said, Now it was in the heart of my father David to build a house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father David, Because it was in your heart to build a house for my name, you did well that it was in your heart. God is commending David. He's saying, What you did, what you wanted to do was good. I'm, I'm commending you for this. Now, I think this is a tremendous encouragement to all of us, and should be, because you may be struggling with God turning you down for missionary service or pastoral work or a family, or maybe it's a business venture. You had a tremendous dream to make a lot of money and, and invest it in the Lord's work, and, and you, um, you really wanted to do some great things for God, and you can't understand why he said no. So you conclude that it must be some sin in your life. And that's not necessarily the case. It wasn't the case with David. God was very pleased with David's motive, David's desire, and he still said no. And God may be very pleased with your desires and your motives and and all of your heart towards him, but he still may say no. Now, why is that an encouragement? Because dedicated Christians tend to live with a lot of false guilt. There's a lot of true guilt that we ought, to, uh, we ought to recognize and face, but we don't need false guilt. So if you're struggling with this and, and uh, you do not have sinful motives in wanting to serve the Lord and do something God said no to, you need to just rest in, in who God is. Because that, one of the things that we learn from this is that God just says no. Why? Because he's God. That's why he does not need to give us an answer as to why he turns us down. But we can rest in this fact. Sometimes he gives us an answer and he and he did give David and we'll see that in a moment. But simply the reason being he's God. And you know what? He's God and he knows what's best. He knows what's best for you and what's best for his for, for the ministry. And he does what is best. Now, in David's case, it wasn't until years later that God revealed to him that the reason he was turned down. And you probably have heard this many times. And it's true because the Bible says in First Chronicles 22, 8, that he was turned down because he was a man of war and a man of bloodshed. And the best thing that I can deduce from that is that David was so identified with warfare and and killing people, and God wanted his house to be identified with peace, that he said, David, you're not the man. You're a great guy, but you're not the man. You're not a builder, you're a warrior. And I don't want my house, a house of worship, a house of peace, identified with someone who's a warrior. That's God's sovereignty. Now listen, 
You may never know, as I said before, in your lifetime, why God said no to your dreams, your desires. But instead of getting discouraged, getting disappointed, you need to see that God does have a plan for your life. It may not be what your plan was, but he does have a plan for your life. He doesn't just turn you down and leave it at that. He has a special plan and will do for you what ought to satisfy your heart and encourage you. And this is exactly how he encouraged David. Notice I'm going to read from verses 8 through 17. Now, therefore, and, and listen closely, and you'll see the encouragement in this. Verse 8, now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, still speaking to Nathan, this is what I want to tell you, Nathan, when you turn him down, bring out, bring out this. Don't just say no. Here's what you bring out as well. Thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be ruler over my people Israel, and I have been with you wherever you've gone, and I've cut off all your enemies from before you, and I will make you a great name, like the names of the great men who are in the earth, on the earth. I will also appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, and they may, that they may live in their own place and not be disturbed again, nor will the wicked afflict them any more as formerly, even from the day that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord also declares to you that the Lord will make a house for you. When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendants after you who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I'll be a father to him and he'll be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of, of men and the strokes of the sons of men. But my loving kindness shall not depart from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever and your throne shall be established forever in accordance with all these words and all this vision. So Nathan spoke to David. Now, with these words, God assured David that even though he was not allow, allowing him to build a great temple, he still was using him in a significant way. God's plan was for him to be the first in a long line of kings that would culminate in the coming of David's greatest son, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus. In other words, Nathan is telling David that even though he can't build a house for God, God is going to build a house for him. Not a physical house, but a physical line of, of kings. He's going to give him also a kingdom and a throne that would endure forever. Now, as I said before, this is known as the Davidic covenant. In fact, uh, one well-known Bible teacher, J. Vernon McGee, said basically said from this point on in Scripture, Scripture is never the same. In fact, he said you can't really understand the prophets unless you understand this promise. This was a great a great promise. God gave tremendous promises to to David, and the most wonderful promise here is that. Uh, one of his descendants would be the eternal king. And that's why there are so many references to, to Jesus being the son of David in the New Testament. In fact, there are uh, many references even in the Old Testament, significant ones. Isaiah 9, 6, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness. The throne of David, that's Jesus who sits on that. In Jeremiah 23, 5, we read, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. 
The prophets spoke of this. This is why Matthew's gospel, the New Testament opens up this way. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That would speak volumes to Jewish people that this is the Messiah. This is the promised one. And it was Gabriel who announced to, um, to Mary that she was going to have a son. It says in, in chapter uh, 1 of Luke, verse 30, the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and shall call his name Jesus. He'll be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him what? The throne of his father, David. Because Jesus Christ is a physical descendant of David. Many places speak of this in the Old and New Testaments. And also, this is a great prophecy that illustrates something. It illustrates that you can have a near fulfillment and a far fulfillment. The near fulfillment here is that you're going to have a son who will build a temple for you. And that wasn't the Lord Jesus. That was Solomon. And that's why he said, when he sins, I'll correct him. That can't be the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus had no sin. That's a near fulfillment. But the far fulfillment is that there's someone who's going to even come through the loins of Solomon and all the way down the, the line that's going to be the ultimate king. So this is a great, great prophetic statement. But there's some great truths for us to grab hold of and say this is how it applies to our lives. For one thing, as God encouraged David, notice how he did this. God didn't say, Nathan, go tell him no. God gave him something better. He encouraged David by telling him his great plans for him. And it really ought to be an encouragement for you. Uh, when God says no to you, he doesn't mean that he won't use you. It just means that he'll use you in a different way than you anticipated. That's what God was saying to David. David, you can't build a temple for me. But listen, I got a great plan for you. A great, wonderful plan. And let me, I'm going to tell you about it. Kings are going to come from you. The Messiah is going to come from you. Your dynasty will never end. David, you can't do this for me, but you're going to do this for me. That's a tremendous encouragement, tremendous encouragement. See, God often uses the, his denials to redirect our lives. And you need to rest in, his, in, in the wonderful truth that God really knows what's best. God just hadn't called David to be a temple builder, but rather he called him to be a king and a warrior. And God hasn't called all of us to do certain things that maybe we want to do. And you need to stop being disappointed with his plan for you. Some of us are disappointed with God's plan for us, but you need to see how David reacted to it. And we'll get to that in just a moment. How did David react to this? God was encouraging him by this. But this, this plays over many times in our lives. I read recently about a, um, a missionary couple who had to leave China in the 1940s uh, for a number of reasons, poor health, uh, but also physical danger. In China at this time, as, as the communist, communism took over and so forth. Now, talk about a death of a vision. They had planned all their lives to go to China, and now they were coming home. And they returned home broken in health, broken financially, basically homeless, uh, exhausted, and a very, very difficult time. And in, instead, of, um, instead of being on the fil field, they took God's no as an opportunity of redirection and you know what they did? This couple poured, uh, uh, eventually they got some money. because He was a medical uh, uh, missionary. And uh, they poured their money into um, organizing a ministry to provide homes for returning missionaries. God said no to one thing, but he had another plan for them. Another wonderful plan. And God does that to redirect our lives. God has done that with me more than once. Perhaps you are going through something similar right now. 
On the next Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve Kreloff will have some practical advice for us that will help us respond in a godly way when we ask God for something we know is good, but he still tells us no. Thanks for joining us today for another Radio Bible Class. These daily broadcasts are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries. Pastor Steve has some thoughts to share with us about this ministry. I'm Pastor Steve Kreloff with a special message about why people like you choose to support Verse by Verse with their prayers and financial gifts. Two things come to my mind. One was a lady who wrote a letter to us and said, you make the Word of God sound easy. I mean, that was, she was saying, you, you make it understandable. And I actually hung that letter up in my office. You make the Word of God easy to understand. And that's really what we want to do. If you've been blessed through Verse by Verse, please consider supporting this ministry with prayer and your financial gifts. You can call 727-441-1714. That's 727 727- 441-1714 or drop us a line at P.O. Box 5884 Clearwater, Florida 33758 That's P.O. Box 5884 Clearwater, Florida 33758 You can learn more about Verse by Verse Ministries at our website versebyverseradio all one word dot O-R-G Today's lesson was the start of a two-part message To get a CD or cassette with the entire message, call us at 727-239-0306. Leave your name and phone number, and we'll return your call during regular office hours. Remember, that number is 727-239-0306. On the next Verse by Verse, Pastor... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.